right, everybody. Welcome to the Nick Little Life and Leadership Podcast. I'm joined here with my wife, Tarina. How are you doing today? I'm great. Happy to be here. Well, good. Are you sure you're happy to be here? Yes. Yes. So we're doing a podcast. Right. So excited. Are you excited? I'm excited you're doing a podcast. Well, you're here, aren't you? Well, yes, but just slightly here. You'll do most of the talking. I'll do most of it. That was the agreement. So the agreement was I was going to do all of the talking. Right. And how long ago did you kind of plant the seed that I should do a podcast? Oh, I don't remember. Details aren't important. Okay. (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) Probably. It's been a minute. It's been, um, it's probably been a few years. Yes. And why? Why is that? Why did you think that was a good idea? Well, you reach a lot of people right now through your workshops, through your books, your Zoom meetings, things like that. But I consume, you know, selfishly, I consume a lot of information through podcasts. I'm a nurse. I love to study health. I love to study wellness. I love to listen to preachers. I love to listen to moms. Um, If I'm looking for new information, that's the first place I go. And I've always wondered, why why doesn't Nick Biddle do that? He would do a great job at that because you're so real in your conversations always anyway. Well, I appreciate that. And yes, if you're wondering, she does call me by my full name. Oh. <laughs> around the house. It's like Nick Middle. <laughs> yes. Come I help do. me with this. <laughs> well, I I mean I've wanted it's one of those things I've wanted to do for a while. And mm-hmm. you know, it would be easier for me just to write another book. Right. Something you've done, you're comfortable with. Comfortable with it. Yeah. I could call my clients. I could sell it. This is hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna sell this. This right. is this is just Hopefully a value add. Yes. Um, and there's probably some belief trap in there. You know, it's like all the podcasts I listen to. Those people are famous. Yes. And they have a huge following. And I've got a following, but, you know, not like not like some of those guys. And, you know, I think we fall in the comparison trap so much. I think that's dangerous. So easy, yes. And there are so many podcasts out there. Oh, there's millions. Yes. And... Is this going to be any different, or is it just going to get lost in the shuffle? But every time I travel, I mean, I mean, this last week I was in Denver working with a group, and then and then Chicago working with a group, and and um, end of this week I'm headed to Orlando working with a different group. And everywhere I everywhere I go, all the individuals I work with, there there's always somebody that asks me, you know, well, how else can I? hear you how else can I consume more information that you create yes you know I've worked with over a hundred thousand foremen field foremen in in the last 12 years wow and I think what a lost opportunity because there's a lot of people I'm not serving that maybe they've heard me once maybe they've sat through a workshop or a keynote and and I haven't been connected since And, and most of these most of these guys and gals are in construction and they've got between a 30-minute and a two-hour commute each way every day. Mm. And 
I think, what if I could create a tool that could help them, that would give them some information, that would help them become better leaders or a better communicator or, or have a, you know, a greater degree of influence with those they serve. And, and they could not, not have to sit through a workshop to get that or, or not have to read a book, but just listen to us have a conversation as they're going down the road. Right. And it's so easy to do a podcast because the technology's out there and it's not expensive to, to get the equipment you need to do it. I think that's why there's so many. And that might be why there's so many that aren't very good. But, I mean, that was kind of my motivation. Yeah. And then probably, I don't know, for the last couple of months, I've played with me sitting in this studio that we built in downtown Corn, Oklahoma, trying to record these episodes. And, and every time I recorded an episode where it was just me in a padded room talking yes. to a microphone, it was, it was cold. It was, you know, a monologue. And maybe I'm just not that good of a speaker, but uh, to create a monologue that's engaging, I found that incredibly hard to do. And I mean, the podcast that you currently listen to or watch how many of them are a monologue where it's just one person talking to a mic versus you sitting in on a conversation oh when you ask it that way yeah probably 90 percent are sitting in on a conversation or one person in interviewing someone else it's very rarely one person yeah and, I, and I, I'm not saying there's not good podcasts out there that aren't just one person. that aren't right. just one, But I don't think that's my gift. I, I don't know. Well, your workshops and your presentations and everything you do on the road is a conversation with those in the audience. It yeah. is a work through something together. That's true. That's your style. I, I think the hardest presentation I've ever delivered was in the middle of COVID – and the National Electrical Contractors Association had me speak, and I believe, I believe it was in Boston that year, but since it was COVID, it was 100% virtual. Wow. And you remember this because... Was this in our living room? This was in our living room. Oh. We were in our old house, and yeah, it was early morning. didn't have your office yet. Yeah, we didn't have the studio, didn't have my office. Yeah. We'd never done virtual before, and I grabbed my desktop... And I moved it to the living room. I moved the furniture. Yes. Uh, you stayed at the front door to make sure neighbors didn't knock on the door. Yes. And the UPS guy didn't come because yes. he comes all the time. <laughs> and, I mean, all the time. <laughs> but, and then I spoke to a blank screen. Like, I didn't even, I couldn't even see the audience. Yeah. I mean, that was just the nature of it. But, I mean, that was so hard. because. Yes. I say stuff that's funny every once in a while, but when you can't get that laugh, <laughs> when you can't, when you can't feed off the audience, man, that's just a different type of conversation. And so a couple of weeks ago when I came to you and I said, okay, I'm going to do this podcast, but I'm changing it and I need 
to have somebody in this conversation with me. And you were like, that's a great idea. Love that. And then I said, I think it's going to be you. What was your initial reaction? Whoa. That wasn't the idea I had. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was not your plan. No, no. But then how long did it take till you kind of got excited and behind the idea? An hour. Yeah, it didn't take very long. No. Yeah, and then you quickly started researching, which you are a natural researcher, and you started making a list of what we need to do different and how we need to set this up. And and we're not starting with a video because we're just going to start simple. Yeah. But I imagine we will get to video if uh, once the once we get comfortable with this, if, if we get more than maybe two subscribers. Three. Three. Yeah. Have you subscribed? No, not yet. I will do that. Okay. I want you on my favorites list, so then I know each time when it's ready. That's, well, I would, <laughs> I would hope I'm on your favorites list, but... You are, for I sure. Didn't, I didn't know you had a list, but <laughs> that makes me a little insecure right there. But you can you imagine how much trouble I would be in if I had a list? Very much trouble. That's right. Yes. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And it gives me a chance to hear more of your stories. I mean, I love traveling with you when I get to, but I don't get to most of the time. So it will be enjoyable for me too. Well, and I think, I think, I think the audience, I mean, the followers I do have, they've heard my stories, but they haven't heard your perspective. Mm. And, and I'm, and I'm calling this the life and leadership podcast because there's a lot of leadership in life. And, yes. and there's a lot of life in leadership. Yes. And a lot of the stories that I tell in my keynotes or in my workshops are about life, and they're tied into leadership. And so some of the stories that, that I'm going to share, I want to hear your perspective on those because you, you were living a different side of that. Yes. And my, my audience has not heard that, and I think they would appreciate it. So are you, you willing to do that? Yes. You, you you had a pause. There was some pause. Yes. It'll probably be a little emotional for me on some of these. Probably. You might throw something at me, too. <laughs> so what should we talk about? Well, why don't you tell us, tell our audience what you do. Let's start there. So what do I do? I um, I work with companies who want their workforce and their leaders to perform at their best on a daily basis, to lead with impact, to communicate at a higher level, to have a greater degree of influence with those they serve. Maybe maybe the right question is, what does that mean? Right. How do, how do I do that? You're very unique. I, I do that in, in a variety of ways. I do a lot of workshops, do a lot of keynotes. I do some, some one-on-one coaching, not, not as much. I do a lot of consulting. I write, um, develop curriculums for companies that want, maybe they want a leadership development curriculum. They want to incorporate their core values and their culture. And, and I'll come in and, and I'll help them incorporate those best practices into a, a leadership curriculum. And, and then, I, then I usually will deliver that for them or, or execute it and and sometimes we'll do it in a day. Sometimes we'll do it over the course of a year, several days throughout the year. But it's unique. If, if you had given me a blank sheet of paper, 
what, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, whenever this started and said, you know, build your dream career, I, I would have not come up with this. Right. But, but I love it. From my perspective, you are very real and you do a great job of breaking down whatever subject you're talking about and communicating it in a way that everyone can understand. Well, I appreciate that. I think it's because I have a simple mind. I think I use small words in a very, very simple mind. (laughs) Well, so you want to tell us how you got into this? Can we start there? Yeah. So, and when people ask me, how did I I get into this business? I always tell them it was a, a series of bad decisions. And that's a joke. It always gets a laugh, but it's really true. I mean, it, it was a series of bad decisions that led me to this business. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, right out of right out of college, we got married. Been married almost twenty four years. That's a it's a miracle in itself. Yes. But um, dated dated all through high school. So we dated for eight years. Been married almost twenty four, and got out of college and got in. Got into business for myself, wanted to own the world, and made some mistakes. Uh, as, as one of my good friends, Mark LeBlanc, would say, he would say, mistakes were made, and they were made, and end up going broke, filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy, lost everything, had to fire a bunch of employees. Um, and then it was really kind of a soul-searching moment. It's like, what do, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And, you know, my whole life I'd chase money. It had always been about money. And so I started, I don't know if you remember, I started reading a lot. I started getting up at 5 a.m. and reading and trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life because, I mean, we were so broke we couldn't afford to pay attention. and Nothing was working, and, and I was probably depressed. And... You know, I was reading. I was reading a Bible. I was reading self-help books, anything I get my hands on. And and there was a book. I think it was called Made to Stick. It's by Chip and Dan Heath. It's a it's an orange book with gray duct tape across the cover. And and there was a story in there about bright spots. And they explain this concept of bright spots. And they say a lot of times when a when a married couple is having issues, they will they will ask that couple to find a bright spot in their day. You know, is there you might hate, hate each other 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day, but is there is there 15 minutes where you get along? You know, and that's a bright spot. And they might say, well, you know, for, for 10 minutes while we drink coffee in the morning, I can tolerate this woman. And then what they basically say is, okay, we'll duplicate that. Instead of 10 minutes, let's let's have coffee, coffee for 15 minutes. And, and then let's let's duplicate those bright spots in your life and so I thought, well, how does that apply to a career? You know, what what is the bright spot in my train wreck of a career riddled with failure? And it had happened uh, several years before that, but but uh, Mystery Gear, old music teacher uh, at Corn Bible Academy where I went to school, where you went to school, where we met, um, he, he asked me to speak at either the baccalaureate or the commencement 
you know, the graduation ceremony for the for the graduating seniors. And, and I spoke for 20 minutes, and I don't remember what I said, but I remember I loved it. And I thought, boy, if I could do anything with my life, it would be that. I, I would figure out a way to speak for a living. And so that's kind of how I decided that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, that ended up being the easy part. Right. I... Uh, because how do you become a professional speaker? Right. And I remember thinking, well, who's going to listen to me? I'm cloaked in failure. And so who's, who wants to listen to this guy? And, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm good at very many things, but I think one of the things I'm, I'm decent at is I'm, I'm pretty open. I'm pretty honest. So I wasn't hiding my failure. And... I'd gotten into Toastmasters. We were living in Oklahoma City at the time. I'd gotten into Toastmasters, and I jumped in that for about a year and, and about three or four months into it. And it's a great organization, but I found out this is not going to teach me how to be a professional speaker. This will teach me how to be a better speaker, but not a professional speaker. And so then I was surfing online trying to figure out how do you do this? How do you, how do you become – at that time, I wanted to be a motivational speaker. And – I ran across a, uh, a website for the National Speakers Association, and that's an organization that helps people turn public speaking into a business. It wasn't, it wasn't how to construct a sentence. It wasn't how to remove filler words. It was how do you get paid to speak? How do you market yourself in a way that someone would actually write you a check? Because ultimately, yes. that's what... That's what we needed. Because, I mean, at this time, you remember what you were doing? Well, I'm out here trying to find myself. Yes. What were you doing? I'm a nurse, and I was working any shift I could get, all the hours I could get, while taking care of our newborn with another one on the way very quickly. And yeah, I'm not sure how that happened. It was a lot. But you do what you do. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that. And so, yeah, so you're working. You're you're basically providing. I, I ended up start doing odd jobs on the side. I start welding with my dad, uh, doing anything I can to, to help pay the bills. And but I mean, I wasn't making any money speaking. And I and I I look back. I think I went for five years without making any any real money speaking. If someone at paid least. me, was it at least? <laughs> if, if someone paid me, it was by accident. They would give me a gift card to 7-Eleven or, you know, but, but it wasn't, yes. it wasn't enough to support us. Right. And I wanted to quit a hundred times, yes. maybe 500 times. And, you know, I, I think it was at the five-year mark that our friends they started having these like come to Jesus meetings with me. It's like, what are you doing, Nick? Your men's group. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had an accountability group, a men's group. We would meet um, at McDonald's every Sunday night. It was a weight loss group. No, it wasn't. It was, <laughs> it was an accountability group just to make sure that what was the focus? We wanted to make sure that we don't wake up one day and find some, somebody, some other guy or find, uh, find our kids calling some other guy daddy. You know, we, we just, we didn't want to do be stupid. 
and, and so many marriages didn't don't work and so it was just an accountability group and, and some of those guys pulled me aside and said Nick you're not this ain't ever gonna work um, nobody they're like I love you but nobody's gonna pay you to speak go get a job I um, mean how Tarina hasn't left you is beyond us and and I just remember thinking I can't quit I'm I'm what if what if the success I'm looking for is around the next corner? And I'd written a book. I'd written my first book, Small Business, Big Mistakes, How to Make It on Your Own in Business. And it was all about the success and failure of being your own boss because that's, that's really all I knew was mostly failure, a little bit of success. Before this, I was in the restaurant business. We, had, we owned some restaurants, some ice cream stores, and, but just – just wasn't working, but I remember I got a call from a good friend of mine now, Scott Hopkins. He was he was the president that year of the Oklahoma Society of Association Executives, which is an association that teaches individuals who run associations how to run an association. Wow. Yeah, it's an exciting group. Uh, and actually, it, it is an exciting group because you've really got to have a personality to do that. But So it's a mixed bag. So in this group was the, the director of the Home Builders Association and the director of the uh, Grave Diggers Association and the, the executive director of the, you know, the Heart Surgeons Association. You know, everything very mixed diverse. bag. Very, very diverse crowd. And and they had their annual, they had their end-of-year banquet. It was at the Postal Training Center, the Postal Training Center in Norman. And they said the governor's going to be there. It's a big deal. Yes. And they said, we don't have a budget, but we'll give you, I, I want to say it was 60 minutes or maybe it was 45 minutes. And, you know, bring your suit. I mean, it's a big deal. It's like, this is... You know, this is this is where it happens, and and so I remember I went there and I I uh, I spoke and I, I I felt like I did a good job, and you know they plotted and and I remember they thanked me and they had this little gift bag and I mean we are so broke at this point, and just the thought of going home with nothing was just devastating, Aww. and it was just. I was just emotionally right on the edge. I don't know yeah. what the the edge was, but I was ready to jump off that edge. And but they had this little gift bag for me, and I thought, man, surely there is a thirty dollar gift card to Applebee's. You know, maybe, <laughs> surely there's something I can bring home, and I can say, hey, it's starting to work. Yeah. And and I remember it was just pouring rain, and I parked a long way from the front door. And I just, by the time I got to my truck after that event, I was soaked. Just, my suit was soaked. I had water just running out of my hair into my eyes. I mean, I was just soaked. And I tore into that little gift bag. And nothing against Scott. He is a, he is a good friend of mine, but he is now. But uh, there was a pen set. It was a pen-pencil combo. And a golf tee. Was there a golf tee in there? Yes. I don't remember. Um, there was not a gift card to Applebee's. There was not a check 
And I remember I just broke down. I I don't cry very often unless yeah. we're like watching Hope Floats, you know, <laughs> something heavy hitting like that. But and I just broke down. I just lost it. I'm just like, what am I doing? And I decided to quit. And you wouldn't let me. I don't know if right. you remember that. No, you, Yeah, you probably wanted me to quit, but you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me quit, and you said, no, you've come this far. You said, this is what God wants you to do. This is what you're doing. You just figure it out. Well, and do you remember, I love, there's a company called Successories, and I love their posters. They're really nice photographs of scenic nature, and all with motivational quotes. And we have those everywhere around our house. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, our house our house looked like an office building. Yes. When we were first married, we would find them at garage sales, and that was the coolest thing ever. And That's we all would we could afford. Them. I know, but nobody else seemed to like them but us. But there's a lot of good ones that carried us through many times. Yeah. Do you remember that first year we were married? We... We had to buy how many people? Do, how many people do we have to buy Christmas for? Twenty six. Twenty six people. And where did we find Christmas presents for all twenty six? Garage sales. We did. We I went, started in June. We went to garage sales, like we were fighting people, and and Trina, you guys don't know this, but um, Trina, I want to say she's the world's worst negotiator, but she's probably the world's cruelest negotiator. What? She would go, no lie, she would go to a garage sale. She would grab something for $20 uh, with a $20 sticker on it, and she'd grab three things with $5 stickers on it and seven things with a dollar sticker on it, and she would hold it in a cradle it in her arms like a baby. <laughs> and she would hide like seven of the things in her arms, and she would say, hey, I'll give you $3 for all this stuff. And they're like, what the heck are you holding? And you're like, that's just a bunch of junk. You don't want it. I don't think I did that. Yeah, you did, because I was so embarrassed. I would wait in the truck. <laughs> and I remember one day you went up to somebody and you're like, Well, hey, I'll give you three dollars. All I have is three dollars. I'll give you three dollars for this. And it was like a forty five dollar item, you know. It's something their grandmother gave them and this little kid's selling it and he's got a tear rolling down his cheek and and you're like, All I have is three dollars and they're finally like, Really? And you're like, Hey, take it or leave it. I mean, this is where we're at. And they're like, fine. And the kid's crying, holding onto his mama's leg. And and then you're like, hey, can you break a 20? And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't think I you did that. You did that like every time. Well, I don't do that anymore. You... <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You were happy to pay full price for everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Every day, Kyle, our, our UPS, the fact that I know our UPS driver's name uh, he's very kind. Yeah, well, he sure he is. I mean, we he, we're job security. <laughs> Trina gets a package. Nick gets a bill. That's kind of how it works. What were we talking about? Okay, back about? to the story. Oh yeah, you were so, gonna quit. I'm gonna quit, and and you wouldn't let me. And you're like, nope, give it a little longer. And so and so I did, and I kept I kept doing what I was doing, and and we just kept surviving. And I would speak anywhere someone would listen, and. And I would go and speak for free. And if it's the Lions Club or the Rotary Club or the Realtor Association, anything I could. And and I'd, I'd sell two books, you know, and I'd bring home $40 and feel like I did something. And, and then Scott called me back. 
Scott called me back and he said, Nick, we really liked what you did at the, oh, at the uh, Postal Center. And we're doing a, we're doing an all-day retreat in Clinton, Oklahoma, which is about 15 miles from Corn, where we live. And he said, we want you to come and do three hours. And he said, we don't have much of a budget, but he said, we'd pay you $1,500. <laughs> do you remember when I got that yes. call? How much was $1,500 to us back then? All the money in the world. It was like a million dollars. I mean, it. I thought, this might be it. Right. And... I mean, it was just that shot in the arm that I needed. Of course, the problem was, it's not like he wanted me to speak tomorrow. It was, he probably booked me six months out. Yes. So it's like, so now I'm stuck in this business for another six months. And I, and I start to get a little more traction, a little more momentum. And I had a few coaching clients. And by then I had a small seismic company that, or I say small, they're a pretty good sized seismic company that had put me on their board and was paying me to consult. Because, you know, a lot of companies... Oh, I would say if they're doing a hundred million or less in revenue, but maybe maybe even bigger than that, they um, their board is basically their executive team, the CEO and the CFO and and a couple key people from the company and and then maybe their banker, but probably not. And that's their board. And and this guy, a good friend of mine, he he's he wanted an outside perspective. He said, Nick, I know you don't know anything about the seismic business but I'm on an outside perspective and you don't have a dog in the fight. And so he was, he was, uh, he was paying me a retainer to sit on their board. So I was doing a little bit, but, uh, but I went out to Clinton, Oklahoma and I showed up and I did three hours of my best stuff. And, and there was a table of men who were, they were rowdy, like. Not paying attention. They, yes. <laughs> They, I don't want to say they were disrespectful, but I almost called them out. Yeah. But it's like almost just said, guys, you know, if you don't want to be here, then leave. Yeah, like I was almost, but there was like this still small voice that's like, no, just shut up and go with it. Yeah. Well, at that table was the executive director for the Electrical Contractors Association. That was Scott Hopkins. Um, there was the executive director for the Sheet Metal Contractors Association. That was David Finley who's one of the best men in my life. Um, Doug Tapp was there. He was with uh, General Contractors Association, and then there was another guy for the Mechanical Contractors Association, but those were the guys that were acting up. And at the end of my three hours, they kind of grabbed me, and they just said, Nick, you don't know really what we do, but our guys had listened to you. They're just the way you tell stories, the way you break down things. Yeah. We need to talk. And a couple weeks later, David Finley called me up and, and he said, let's grab, let's grab lunch. And so we went to, uh, went to Charleston's in Edmond, Oklahoma and grabbed lunch. And he said, Nick, he said, I, I want you to come and work with our apprentices. I didn't even know what the apprentice was at the time, but he was with the sheet metal contractors and sheet metal, for those of you that don't know, I mean, that's like commercial heat and air. Uh, and then they also do some really cool metal work. But um, he said, I want, you to, I want you to come and work with the apprentices. And, and I said, I, I, I don't know what an apprentice is. I've never worked with uh, an apprentice, and I've really never had a job, David. I only work with business owners because that's all I've ever done. He said, no, you really ought to come look at this. And I said, no, thanks, but no thanks. And I said, no, and I walked away. And two weeks later, David called me up. He said, no. He said, let's, let's grab lunch again. 
and he basically put me in a headlock. And if if you if you've ever had an angel sit on your shoulder, and and lead you or guide you, I mean that was David for me because if he hadn't have been willing to put me in a headlock, I would never be doing what I am today. And it changed everything. He 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 told me so. He came in and he brought me into the apprenticeship committee, which was half union leaders, half contractors, and and they said, Nick, the uh, the apprentice that's entering the industry today is completely different than the apprentice that entered the industry 30 years ago. They said, but in our apprenticeship program, we're basically teaching the same thing. And we want to know what to teach different. And and I said, well, I don't, I don't know. But here's what I am willing to do. I am willing to go find out. And I said, I don't have a dog in the fight. I said, and guys, some for some reason, will talk to me. Yes. So I said, give me two, two weeks, and I'm going to go climb your buildings, wherever your guys are working, and gals, and I'm going to sit down with them, and, and I'm going to have a cup of coffee with them, and I'm going to figure out, you know, what do they think the problem is, and what do they think we should change, and what's the difference between the apprentice that entered the industry 30 years ago and today, and, and all those questions. And they said, all right, let's do it. And so I did. And over the course of the next two weeks, I probably had 287 cups of coffee. Yes. And I remember there was a big casino going up by Shawnee, and I went and went into that building, and there was other places in Oklahoma City I went, and I just started having cups of coffee, and it was amazing what these guys and gals would tell me. I tell you, yes. And took the results. I sat down with my my uh, my coach and mentor Mark LeBlanc and I said here's all the results we've got what do we do with them and he helped me organize them and we came up with the four core competencies and those four core competencies that are lacking in young people today are communication how we communicate on and off the job self-leadership takes one set of skills lead a group of men into battle or on the job takes completely different set of skills to show up on time that's self-leadership putting your cell phone down Self-leadership. Um, the next one was professionalism. What's appropriate, what's not. It's completely... Lost. That's a lost concept. Yes. And then the fourth core competency was entrepreneurship. This, this concept of understanding where man hours come from and what it takes to be successful in business and kind of taking ownership of your own success. And so I came back to the committee and I said, well, here's the four core competencies. This is what you need to teach. Thank you. It was great. You know, if you need anything else, let me know. And, and David looked at me and said, well, we, we don't have time to teach this. <laughs> and I said, well, I guess you're going to have to hire somebody. And they're like, well, let's hire you. And I said, I don't, I don't know how to teach this. I don't know anything about an apprentice. And he said, Nick, it's communication. You're great at that. And so they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. They offered to pay me. And <laughs> I, I went into the apprenticeship program once a quarter for, you know, it's probably two years yeah. is what it took. Um, and, and one night I would teach communication. We'd do it for 90 minutes, and I had, I'd teach it to every class. And then the next quarter I'd come in and do self-leadership. And, and I told stories, and I did all that stuff, and, but you've been telling stories your whole life. 
yeah, I got that from my grandpa. That dude was a master storyteller. Yes. I, I don't know how many times I peed my pants sitting around <laughs> the Thanksgiving table listening to him tell stories. But, and so I, uh, and about halfway through that, maybe three-fourths of the way through that, I had an apprentice who had, who had come in, and, and we'd kind of build, I was starting to build a relationship with these guys, and, and he said, Nick, the, uh, I keep getting my, uh, I keep getting my butt chewed because my boss will tell me to do one thing, and he thinks he tells me to do something else, and when I tell, when I do what he tells me to do, he thought it was something else, so then, then I get in trouble, and I just said, well, listen, just take you a little, me, uh, little, notebook, one of those little ones that'll fit in your pocket and put it in your shirt pocket and put a pencil behind your ear. And anytime your boss is telling you to do something, just write it down. And then just say, boss, is this what you said? You know, just double check it with him. I said, can you do that? He said, I can try it. I come back two months later, whenever it was, and he walks in the room. He said, thanks a lot for that, Nick. And I'm like, what's going on? He said, that was the worst advice you've ever given. And I'm like, boy, you oh, haven't no. you haven't heard all my advice because I've given a lot worse advice. <laughs> but I said, what happened? He said, well, and this guy worked in the shop. And he said, my shop foreman started telling me lists of stuff to do. And I whip out my notepad. He takes my notepad, skips it across the shop room floor. He says, if you're so stupid, you have to write everything down. I don't want you on my crew. Aww. And... That's when I realized, you know, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of good foremen right now that aren't good leaders. Mm-hmm. And so David and I talked and we decided, well, we need to, we need to create a leadership development program. And so, so the first leadership workshop I ever developed was a foreman's field guide mm-hmm. to developing your crew. And then David called me up and he said, Nick, he said, he was the, oh, I'm going to screw this up. But all of these associations have a, what's, I think it's called a council of executives. And, and it was basically a retreat where all the executive directors of all of these associations across the country come together with their president. And they go through a strategic planning session. And, you know, it's a conference. And he, and he was actually in charge of education. And he said, Nick, it's going to be in Key West, Florida. And he said, I'm going to give you 90 minutes. And he said, I want you to share what we've been doing here. And he said, in this room will be almost every executive director in the U.S. and Canada for the Sheet Metal Contractors Association. And their president, which was usually one of their most engaged contractors. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I'm not going to pay you nothing, but this is what we're doing. I said, perfect. And so I I got a hold of Mark, and I said, Mark, here's, here's what's going on. How should we handle this? This is an opportunity in his world, that's a showcase. You know, this is a showcase where I can showcase what I do, maybe get a little bit of business. And and we had broke down some ideas on how to deliver these four core competencies and talk about the success of the program and what we're doing. And, and then at the very end of that call, he said, Nick, do you want to hear the big idea? And it's almost like he didn't want to tell me. And I said, sure. And he said, write a book. I said, Mark, I speak in three and a half, four weeks. I mean, it was <laughs> quick. He said, you can't write a big book, Nick. I know you do well. But he said, just, <laughs> just write a book. And he said, you'll have to write it in a week. And so I wrote Perform Like the Boss, How Smart Contractors Lead Others to Think and Act Like the Boss. Wrote it in five days. 
sent it off, had it edited, had to do page layout. It's self-published, of course. Uh, had to hire somebody to design the cover, do all of that stuff. And I had them shipped directly to Key West. I did not have time to see the finished product and went to Key West and gave one to everyone in the room. And I did my little 90-minute thing, and it absolutely filled my calendar. Do you remember that trip? Yes. What do you remember about that trip? Well, what was I going to wear? (laughs) That sounds about right. No, just I didn't even understand the industry at all. Um, I was excited you were being not rewarded, but your skills were being noticed. And I just had no idea what to expect. And I was really worried about the book showing up on time. Yeah. Stressed out. (laughs) Rightly so. But it went well. It did. It filled my calendar. And I learned that these men and women were easy to talk to. Just down-to-earth people just like you and me. Yeah, yeah, they're just good old good old guys, good old gals, just fighting every day to make a better life for them and their family. Yes. You know, and, and, and I don't know, most most of who I work with now is blue-collar mm-hmm. industry, and and they really found me. Yes. Um, I found out real quick after that that everywhere there's a sheet metal contractor association, there's an electrical contractor association, and there's also a mechanical and plumber and pipe fitter association, you know, there's all of those associations and, and, uh, and really have gone deep into that industry. Yes. They're well organized. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and they're all, they're all good people. And then since then I've, I've written two more books and developed countless curriculums. I've got the leadership drip subscription that goes out each week and, and, uh, got the foreman's inner circle now. That's a virtual training tool, and I just launched the uh, Full Auto Leadership Retreat here in Corn America where we combine leadership training and machine guns, maybe the most fun I've ever had. What was the best part about that event for you? I enjoy hosting and getting to know the people you work with more than just meeting them one evening if I get to go with you on a trip. Yeah. Yeah, we had them in our home. They had dinner at our house. Mm -hmm. and. That was intimidating. Yes. Right? That yes. was intimidating. Yes. But it was a good time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got in the business. Does that answer your question? Yes. Very real. Really hard to relive some of that. It's not like we have these conversations in the living room or at morning coffee. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't uh, We don't have these conversations very often. No, but thank you for sharing. Yes. Okay, so what's the takeaway from well, all of that? Yeah, uh, what is the takeaway? I, uh, I saw, I'm so glad I didn't give up. Yes. And, you know, I'm doing a leadership trip right now on doing the hard things. Do the hard things in life because everything's hard. Yes. And that was so hard. But I think it would be harder today if I'd have given up and always wondered what if. What if I'd have stuck it out? Yeah. What if I would? Because I think I could have been successful. I could have, you know, I could have done some other stuff. 
spot, but I don't know that I would have the impact that I do right now. And so I, I guess the takeaway is don't give up. Yeah. And then surround yourself with people that believe in you, probably more than you do. Because had you not talked me off the fence, I would have I'd have quit. Yes. So thank you. You're welcome. And you had other men, too. Other. Yeah, I mean, my family always believed in me. and yes. I mean, maybe not my mother-in-law, but... <laughs> no, whatever. <laughs> no, she's my biggest fan. Yes. So what should we talk about next time? I don't know. What do you think? Well... There's a lot of avenues we could get. You know, there was a lot in that story we didn't cover. Um, there was the night at the ER. That's a hard story. Um, I may not need to be here for that one. I think you do. There was San Francisco. Yes. That was that's that was probably a harder story. Yeah, that's harder. That was tough. I don't. I'm not sure I've uh, gotten over that. No. Maybe we should. Uh, I think we should talk about the ER. I think that's next. Okay. The night at the emergency room. Okay. You want to do that? Sure. All right. Well, guys, appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us. Till next time. Take care.